KQED. Tax fights, Democratic fights, Republican fights. Fighting. That's this week's California <laughs> politics podcast. Spoken like a true parent. We have our <laughs> boxing gloves on. We are ready to rumble politics uh, in California for the uh, week of September 24th, 25th. I'm John Myers of KQED News, along with Marisa Lagos of KQED and Anthony York of the Grizzly Bear Project. And here we are to talk politics, even what we, I guess we thought was the off season with the legislature going home, but nah, to uh, heck with that. There's no off season. There's, there's no off season in politics. It's not no. sports related. So. Three topics to talk about this week. We want to talk a little bit about taxes in 2016. We got a, a couple of different tax initiatives that have just kind of surfaced and want to kind of see where that might lie. We'll talk a little bit about Democratic intraparty politics. The Speaker of the Assembly and a state senator from her same home region may be facing off in 2016, maybe. And uh, following, following from that, a little bit of Republican Party politics from the weekend convention. And of course, a little bit of side dish, those little morsels of political news in California. First up, let's talk about taxes. Everyone remember back to 2012. Roll that clock back. The California dream was built on schools and colleges, giving everyone a chance at a job and a future. Proposition 30 stops the cuts to our schools. 30 asks the highest income earners to pay a little bit more to keep our economy strong. Yes, that's the Prop 30 campaign from 2012. That, of course, is the governor of California, Jerry Brown, which, of course, hinged on a key part of that tax pitch about raising income taxes on the most wealthy uh, and sales taxes on everyone. The key pitch being it is temporary. It is not permanent. And now we have people seeking to uh, redo that deal a little bit. So we've seen uh, now two initiatives. We saw one just come out uh, here in the week we're talking about that I guess would be called Prop 30 Part 2, son or daughter of Prop 30, Redux. though they are they are different. Yeah, could can be we, that. Can we call it 30? Can we call it Prop 28 because it's 30 minus Prop 2? <laughs> no. Oh. All right, you can Too send fair. in your ideas on Twitter. Hashtag new Prop 30, whatever. We, okay. we might have to change the Constitution so Anthony gets to number the <laughs> ballot measures now. So let's talk about them. So we have two measures that have been put out. We've had one um, pushed in large part by uh, California Teachers Association, um, all of these are focusing on making permanent the income tax element of Prop 30, the uh, higher earners. The both millionaires measures, tax, millionaires as they and like beyond. to call it. Both, both measures would take out the sales tax component of Prop 30, um, which has often been discussed as a regressive tax and so therefore probably wouldn't sell as much. Um, the second measure, which came out by a group of healthcare um, advocates this week, would also talk about... Uh, income taxes on the most wealthy. They have some differences, which we can talk about at some point, maybe not today, about the mechanics and who's taxed this rate and that rate. Um, two key differences, though, I think we should probably talk about. One is uh, who's behind them. We've got teachers on one side, and we could have other members of labor. We've got health care groups, um, organized labor in health care. We've got uh, hospital advocates on that side. And then where the money would go. Uh, under one scenario, we're talking about money for schools, and as Anthony talked about, money that would not be counted in the whole new rainy day fund. And on the other proposal, we've got money that, yes, would go to children, ostensibly, uh, some with schools, but also Medi-Cal and all these kinds of health care issues and things like that. Um, somebody's got to blink at some point here. It's early. It's early. It's early. I know that. But, like, you know, here we are fighting out the, the legacy of Prop 30, right? Yeah. And the question is, I, I mean, I still think a big question is what, if anything, is the governor going to do? I mean, I can't see now the way that the CTA constructed their proposal. 
or um, but with the exemption from Prop 2, I, I can't see a way in which the governor could support that proposal, frankly. I mean, not only is it a, a going back on his word on Prop 30 that it was temporary, uh, but that it but that it, 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 it there's an end run around his brand new, you know, fiscal austerity and, and responsibility measure that he just sold to voters just two years ago. I find that hard yeah. to believe. On the other side, you know, the other one, and full disclosure, I've done some writing for for common sense media. Not have not worked on this initiative, but but uh, but but that the size of the tax increase and just the um, seems like politically like a very tough sell. And and you just wonder, given what happened with Prop Thirty last time, that we saw a number of initiatives filed. Uh, there ended up being two going ahead, but only two, and there was a negotiation that followed. And and uh, you have to wonder whether there might not be some sort of negotiation yeah, this time I mean, around, too. I kind of just feel like this is like all the like myriad of, of marijuana legalization ones. Like Everyone's putting their cards on the table. They want their language out there. They want to sort of make clear what their priorities are. I mean, clearly having either a sort of nod and a wink that the governor is not going to oppose any of this or even better, his support would really help any 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 extension of or new iteration of Prop 30. Um, you know, the the second one, as you mentioned, has, I think, the sweetener for the governor, that there is a reserve in there, that there is this sort of nod to the, the fiscal prudence of, of the Jerry Brown administration. But, you know, it's it's a long way between here and next November. And I think we are going to see some conversations at least taking place. Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we've all suspected when we all knew. I mean, we've all the reporters sitting here talking to you. I mean, we've all talked to sources that talked about that there's been a lot of discussion in political circles about taxes in the 2016 ballot. There, there is a belief, clearly, that this is not a bad ballot to go to the, to go to the people about some kind of tax measure. It's going to be probably a, a Democratic-leaning electorate. It's a presidential year. Uh, you might have more young voters. You can make a, an appeal about, you know, paying for things that the state cares about. Anthony's got that skeptical look that he always has. Yeah. But the point is, those discussions have been going for a very long time. Clearly, uh, everybody didn't have some total agreement or or we wouldn't see multiple measures out there. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, Anthony, we saw it in 2012. We saw millionaires tax get folded into the governor's measure. And I think I don't know. I think that they must know something about um, where their chances are, maybe especially if you if you are selling a really good idea for where the money goes. Yeah. I mean, maybe obviously these things seem kind of poll tested. Right. I mean, they, you know, although I'm not sure. But but what's interesting is that both of them, whether it's the Medi-Cal money that's in the uh, in the UHW proposal or whether it's the the uh, the need to circumvent Prop 2 in the CTA proposal. I think what's interesting is that both of them are, are trying to find ways to create revenues for other parts of the budget beyond education. And while education was has always been the most popular selling point for ballot measures and maybe the most popular among voters the political reality in Sacramento is that there's a there seems to be a, a need or an acknowledgement of a need of for more revenues in other parts of the budget beyond just education i find that yeah i think that's a real evolution of of the thinking here and and, and it's an interesting creates interesting political and dynamics and the way it's being framed right that this is that this is about kids and and that kids aren't just don't just go to always, school. Always for the children. Well, right. well, but, 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 but to your point, Anthony, I mean, does that we've been talking, I mean, everybody, you know, the great big uh, elephant's not an elephant because he's a Democrat, but the elephant in the room is like, what would the governor do? What's the governor's opinion? What would be the governor's take on any of this? And 
like, is there a natural constituency for the governor on the measure filed this week that would move money for partly into Medi-Cal funding and things like that that he has been talking about looking for, especially when you look at the measure pushed by the teachers union, which would say that the money doesn't count towards his rainy day fund, mean, which probably is a stickler point for you him. You mean besides the fact that it was filed by his political consultants? His political team is working <laughs> yeah, on it. I, w- they... I wouldn't make too much of that. No, I, I mean, I think on both sides. I mean, Dan Newman and A. Smith on one side with this one and then Gail Kaufman. I mean, these are huge Democratic consultants. Right. These it's, are both very legitimate. You're going, to, you're going to step on somebody's former clients in the world of Absolutely. Democrats at that point, but, no matter, you know, no matter what. But, but is, but, it doesn't but, hurt. But you, might it have a constituency for the governor? I, I don't know. You have to ask the guy. I'm I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Of, he's at the UN at the moment. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm out of the predict the Jerry Brown prediction business. But that being said, uh, but but on its face, I mean, look, first reaction, it's a very big tax increase, a very big permanent tax increase uh, and certainly seems to um, I mean, you know, he would take some political heat for it that even even if it's an issue that he kicks over to voters and says, you know, ultimately, if, if he qualifies it, I, I think it's 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 tough. Especially, I mean, you talk about the Medi-Cal cuts. This is the governor that passed the cuts to medic, you know, that fought for the Medi-Cal cuts. I know that there's efforts in the special session to try to restore it, but the Department of Finance has some very some very specific requests to make sure that they're that the money doesn't just go for reimbursement rates, but that actually leads to improved network adequacy and that poor people can actually find a doctor. I think there are some some extractions that that the administration wants before they're just going to, they're not just going to send a blank check to Medi-Cal. I simply just raise it because, um, due respect to the governor, he doesn't have another campaign to run. And, And he has seemed to evolve a little bit on some of the things that he's talked about. I mean, yes, he, he, I think no, that's right. Yeah. And, and so an evolution could be made, an argument could be made there ultimately. But I mean, you know, it's very soon to say um, what the governor will or won't do about anything in 2016, what's on the ballot or what he's participating in, what he's thinking about. Um, and then I guess the question is, what else is out there, right? I mean, we are getting at the, we're at the, we're at the crunch season now. If you're going to have a ballot measure in 2016, you need to submit it. It needs to get vetted for title and summary, even if you have somebody with a lot of money behind you to gather signatures fast, and it's fewer signatures. That's my pet uh, topic to talk about. But a longer process now. But, yeah, but this is your moment. And so uh, wouldn't you say, safe to say, you guys, that like, I mean, uh, the next few weeks at the most Anything else that's going to come out is really going to come out, and we're going to see what the tax universe might right. look like. Which is why so. I think that everybody's putting out—they're putting their cards on the table, right? You, they want to see what's at stake. And I think you just brought up a great point, Anthony, which is that these are going to go through legislative hearings. Now, the legislature right. won't be able to unilaterally just change anything, and then the sponsors have to agree to it. But I do think that through that process, there's a potential for some vetting and, and some folks to sort of— you know, position themselves and, and potentially maybe to come together on something that is a compromise of, of these various tax measures. I mean, you know, and like we've discussed before, it's also this is the time when everybody's sort of looking around to figure out what's going to be on the ballot and what do we want to spend our money on, right? There's yep. only a limited amount even in these big special interest groups to go around. And so they're going to be looking hard at what else, what they need to defend themselves against, what they want to support. I mean, there's a lot of moving It's a big parts. chess game. I it mean, really it is, is. like yeah. offense-defense there in terms yeah. of, of what you're looking for. And I think in the legislature we'll see a broad tax discussion. Remember, there's the split role idea that's out there. It's been introduced as a as an uh, – 
a constitutional amendment by uh, by a couple of state senators. If you're a new podcast listener, that's the ye old Prop 13 debate. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Silly me. Uh, there's also this pro- this progressive property tax measure that was that was supported by some advocates in Los Angeles, uh, and that's you know in, in terms I, I think next year we could see a the beginning of sort of a, a broad tax discussion whether that leads to a ballot measure or whether, whether that leads to something in 16 or whether this discussion gets put over to 18 because remember except for the sales tax the sales tax rolls off next year on prop 30 but we really have some time to deal with this i mean the the income taxes don't roll off till the end of 2018 and so so you don't see a budget effect until the the first budget of the new governor the 1819 Oh, well, no, that's the last budget of yeah. this government. So one last question on this, because um, it's, you know, I, and I think the podcast audience knows these just landed. I don't think there's any, like, you know, great conventional wisdom yet, any kind of consensus on it. But you do have to wonder about the about where the campaign would go, right? I mean, regardless of which measure might move forward, the, the proponents of either side are going to say, look, the Prop 30 taxes um, were said that they were going to be horribly destructive to the economy. Look, we've grown all these jobs. The economy has come back. We've got tax revenue uh, surpluses. Uh, Times are better. Uh, Of course, some people will say times aren't better everywhere. Fair enough. But to that point, um, those people who are worried about income inequality and the wealth gap may think this is a great time to say that those people who are wealthy, and especially the super wealthy, like one of the measures, like like right. jacks up the tax on even the multi-multi-millionaires. Five, above five million. Right. right. But right. like, you know, those people may say this is the right time to talk about, you know, equality issues of income and wealth. So, I mean, th- there are some narratives that oh, you yeah. could see could, could really definitely gonna work It's going to hurt all there. of us in this room. I mean... Five million Five plus million club like that. <laughs> well, well, Anthony. Wait, now, wait, grizzly... are, are my podcast wages now factored into that or not? <laughs> the Grizzly Bear Project is a multi-million-dollar operation. It's a multi-million and he, something. And he's the president and CEO. Right. No publisher, president publisher. and publisher. Okay. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. I think there's a lot of um, sorting out that has to be done behind the scenes there, which is my transition to topic two on the California Politics Podcast: sorting out behind the scenes. Ain't happened so far when it comes to one state Senate race in 2016 in the San Diego area. Oh, snap. So, oh, snap, said the Maurice. And she actually, she shook her head in just the right back and Wait, forth. I'll, I'll snap. Then there it was. So we, uh, we got, a lot of this has been talked about some, but it kind of became apparently much more real over the last week. Speaker of the Assembly, Tony Atkins, is termed out in 2016. Um, she has now made it known that she does intend to run for the state Senate uh, in the San Diego seat occupied by fellow Democrat Marty Block, who has one more term that he could run for, potentially setting up a showdown between Atkins and Block, two uh, Democrats with very similar track records. Well, potentially. I mean, it's hard to know what's actually going to happen, whether the race will end up. But yes, potentially if they both. Like you think Block may not run? I, well, I don't know. Let's get to that. Yeah, but I was going to the the setup was the setup was just simply going to be um, that if you listen to the discussion, there was apparently some conversation a while ago about would Atkins run? Would Block only serve one term? Would he agree to step aside? Block says, "I never made that agreement." Yeah. Atkins says, "You know, this is uncomfortable and unfortunate." And blah da blah 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 blah. But not so, so uncomfortable that I'm not going to do it though. But this is fascinating for the other level, and I want to talk about this. This is a sitting Speaker of the Assembly, and the 
sitting leader of the Senate, Senate President Pro Tem Kevin DeLeon, has put out a statement saying, we will back Marty yeah. Block. And that is a very there's interesting so much moment. irony here, given... Go for it. Well, Let's... you know, there's um, still folks in the Assembly, Mark Levine for one, who ran... Well, and let's talk about... We can talk about... Uh, in the Senate, too, but I'll, I'll stick to the Assembly. So there were a number of races. Tony Atkins hadn't taken her position as Speaker yet when this happened, but in which Democrats challenged sitting Democrats, and the speakers, uh, Speaker at the time, Speaker John Perez, went hard after them along with the California Labor Federation. There's still political consultants that are blacklisted because of that. Some of them are state senators now. Steve Glazer <laughs> is a state senator. One um, of them is a state senator. Yeah, okay, one of them. But, you know, it's just really fascinating. That was seen as, like... I, I don't know. I don't even know what the right word for it was, but it it was like this is this is not done. This right? is never done. This right. is never done. This is an yeah. affront to the party and your loyalty. And we all know loyalty is very important in the legislature. And now you have the speaker doing this, and the I mean, it just really highlights the ever present sort of house on house uh, violence, as it were. I'm, I'm going to get a li- <laughs> I'm going to get a little. Uh, Crazy here, but you know, I like it's that. True. That's let's 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 be let's be uh, upfront. I mean, what, what, what do you you think over here? You're musing. Well, I mean, I think you were right to qualify this thing. You know, we 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 don't seen, know. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen, uh, and we see we've seen jockeying. Like, I mean, situation was a little bit different, but in 2002, there was apparently a deal. Like, just one of the stories that came out of this of this uh, announcement. Uh, from from uh, Speaker Atkins was that was talking. There was allegedly a deal in place that Marty Block was going to run for county supervisor. Right. He says that's never the case. I never agreed to that, and yeah, so that part right, of what I alluded to a moment ago. Right, right, and and you know we've seen things like that before. In 2002, there was an open Senate seat, and after Antonio Villaraigosa had run for and lost for mayor of Los Angeles in 2001, he made noise about running for that Senate seat. That got his buddy Gil Cedillo upset because apparently there was a there was a deal in place. They say, or Cedillo, and that and that put that relationship. Those those two guys were close friends, and I think that jockeying over the 2002 Senate race, uh, where they almost ran against each other, apparently um, caused some caused some bad feelings. Now, but the, but the other point to that is that that never came to pass. That by the time the filing deadline came along. There was only one of them that that actually ran, and so, you know, I, whether that will happen in this case, I I don't know. Uh, but is it possible that that this showdown doesn't happen? I, I think it still is. Well, and I would say, besides the the inner house legislative dynamics and drama here, this highlights a few sort of bigger political issues that I think are really fascinating. You know, one is these top two primaries, the changing political system, the redistricting, and how that sort of changed. The number of seats and and where people are running. And two is just this ever-present pressure that politicians feel to always be looking towards the next office and really in California, such a blue state, to be fighting with one another. You know, you you saw this with the Senate race and Kamala Harris working early to really clear the field. You see it with the governor's race in 2018 and all the positioning that's happening there. And then you're always seeing it at the local level, you know, boards of soups, mayors, you know, it's just, it's really interesting because I think that there's a sense among the public that like there's this political class and that everybody sort of 
knows what's happening and has their eye on whatever position they do. And really behind the scenes, there's always and, and years out this positioning right, happening right. and this worry because you don't have you know, you only have your office for so long with term limits. And of course, we look at where we are now. Um, if you look at the campaign finance records of the two, Atkins has a lot more money sitting in the bank than Marty Block does. And, you know, and one more thing that we haven't talked about here just briefly is it does raise interesting questions about the transition period between Tony Atkins and Anthony Rendon as the new speaker. They've all said it would be, I don't even know what they said, sometime in 2016, early 2016-ish. But um, if Atkins is making this move and raising money and there's going to be, they, what happens in Sacramento usually is, there's a desire to get you out of that leadership thing sooner rather than later so a leader can come in and focus on the issues. But, you know, that's a powerful fundraising platform for her. Yeah, and then also, I mean, you know, there's I think there'll be valid questions about, you know, as much as there there is this, you know, dynamic between the houses, like they still have to work together on some things. And so... Is will she stay if she stays there throughout part of next year or most of it? Will that hurt negotiations with the Senate on bills and on the budget and on other things? I don't know. It it'll be fun to watch how it shakes out. But in the early stages, you know, every political reporter looks at that and goes, "Ah, that's a fun race to to cover," because you do wonder then again under the top two system, how would it play out? What would a campaign look like? Would a vote be split? How do they differentiate themselves from voters? Like if we step back from the politics and look at the policy, they are not really different on the policy stances they have taken. They are both uh, reliable, um, liberal or liberal-leaning center-center-left Democrats. And so I just think it would be very interesting to see – um, how a campaign, but we're, guys, we're... Yeah, I think I need to decamp to San Diego for the next year. Okay. Yeah. okay. So I'll be surfing. You guys call me if any political news comes up. All right, good. You can catch Marisa <laughs> on the beach back in her native uh, hometown area. So third topic on the podcast. Um, before we do it, little side dish here. I almost forgot our side dish. It's just too much fun. Our little morsels of things that are going on in the world of politics. Anthony York at Anthony York 49 on Twitter. Yes, well, speaking of Twitter, that's a good segue into my side dish. <laughs> the uh, newly active Twitter fingers of former Governor Gray Davis, at Governor Davis, if uh, you're looking for him. Uh, I don't know. There's this small barrage of tweets. There have been about 12 or 13 of them now over the last three days. Including the uh, selfie. Oh, uh, yeah, a little selfie with a, with a certain former governor who may or may not have been elected <laughs> the same time that a certain other governor may or may not have been recalled. Uh do I have to fill in our podcast no, listeners on that No, but just think one? about how many retweets Gray Davis got with an Arnold Schwarzenegger selfie that he might not have gotten otherwise. Do respect it's called it's called drafting and cycling. I know that <laughs> anyway. Um, and you know, I maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just discovering the old new social media, or maybe just maybe. What do you think, guys? Gray Davis, Gray Davis in 2018. What do you think? Like the Nixon uh, tan rested and ready. He's what parted. Red, I don't know. There's got to be a, an illusion. <laughs> we will see. Like we, you said, I don't make bets on political right. <laughs> future political decisions. So, uh, side dish, Marisa Lagos, yeah. uh, Twitter handle M Lagos. What you got? I was just fascinated. You know, we've been talking a lot on this podcast and in the Capitol about the California Air Resources Board and the sort of fights within the Capitol on their power. Um, and they kind of got a big coup this week when they helped uh, really 
take down several notches of Volkswagen. Um, there was this investigation between them and, and federal re- regulators, which essentially found that Volkswagen had artificially lowered results on smog tests with its software to kind of get around some of the emissions rules. And, you know, it, it clearly the feds have led this, but, but CARB played a big role, and I think it's just a nice little feather in California's cap on this ongoing fight over emissions and climate change and the governor's making his rounds this week on that issue so congrats to carb for uh, making a lot of people really mad about the cars they bought <laughs> extra farfignugan over there okay and with that and then my side dish show you can find me on twitter at john myers um Keep your eye on something that we will know officially uh, on Monday. So mine's kind of like a look ahead. On Monday, we have the deadline for um, signatures to be turned in if there are enough, and I suspect there aren't, on a referendum to overturn the vaccine bill, Senate Bill 277. So the backers have until Monday. They would have to turn in 365,880 valid signatures, which means you need more than that because there are always some invalid signatures that are gathered out there on the streets. Um, former Assemblyman Tim Donnelly had led the charge on filing this referendum to overturn the bill that, as we all know, was one of the big fights of 2015 about uh, severely limiting the vaccination exemptions for school children. Uh, Donnelly has not shown that he has any big effort, either on the grassroots level, certainly not on the financial level, to gather the signatures. My hunch is the measure goes away, and I don't know. Maybe it's uh, the end of that chapter for now in the vaccination fight, except there's for the, the people recall. who are very passionate. Well, there's the recall this. of Richard Pan, too. Pardon I mean, me. That's, that's right. That's recall. another potential. State Senator of Sacramento. That's true. They filed a recall petition. So It'll one, never go away, guys. One chapter down, one chapter. You know what would make it go away? Still to go. Vaccination. <laughs> uh, and with that moment, let's uh, let's inoculate ourselves on that against that uh, against any more of that. Third topic, really quickly, the least fighting, uh, and a quick just mention of this one because it's already kind of happened and it's out there. State Republicans met uh, last weekend in Anaheim for their um, fall convention. Great news! They're going to have fewer two-year con- two year two two times a year conventions. Uh, which I just think that's too many to have two times every year. But anyway, sorry, Republicans. Um, it's they not met, that we don't like partying with you guys. Right, well, they met, and it was the least amount of fighting I think I've seen in a Republican convention in a long time, including new platform language on illegal immigration. A a slight softening. I, I don't want to disagree with my friends who had headlines that said they softened it. It was a mild softening. <laughs> but I do think it was an acknowledgment that the narrative on immigration has shifted a little and that maybe it is time for the party to, I don't know, engage on something that they have needed to engage on for for a few years. I mean, whether it helps them or not, you know, language that says Republicans have diverse views, taking out the term illegal aliens, taking out the phrasing that says uh, mandatory English language or that ballots would not be printed in multiple languages. Um, I I don't know. Small signs? Yep. I mean, it's a sign. I don't think it in itself it changes anything. It's it really matters whether there are candidates out there who are sort of using that language and talking, you know, walking the walk. I mean, your average person isn't that paying that much attention to either party's like official platforms unless something really outrageous happens. But you know, it's it's definitely a sign of the times. And I think coming a week after the debate at the Reagan Library, where you know most all of the candidates have very harsh rhetoric on immigration. Um, certainly the state party, you know, had an interest in putting themselves out there on it. Yeah. Thoughts, Mr. York? I mean, is this enough to uh, to change the 
the perception of Republicans. I mean, and that is a huge task. It's so a I've, huge task. Yeah. It's just it's just it just shows that, uh, you know, again, the lag time, I think, with some of the national issues and, and the state issues. And, you know, um, a lot of what's going on on the national level with the Republican Party uh, was fought in this state in the in the early to mid 90s. And the Republican Party has been trying to recover from from uh, some of those campaigns ever since. And, and um, I, I think that juxtaposition that Marisa talked about with what's going on in the Republican primary um, as it pertains to immigration, particularly the, the Trump candidacy and how he's how he's moved uh, the issue back to the to the front burner of Republican politics and how California Republicans are trying desperately to move it off the front burner and put it as far back as possible. I'd, I'd find that that juxtaposition interesting and a, a reaffirmation of our California exceptionalism. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at that U.S. Senate race, I mean, those candidates are are right in the middle of this. And, and the story that I worked on for KQED television this week was just trying to look at how the national narrative of the Republican presidential campaign this summer only brings the Republican Party in California right back to the thing that yep. they have had to been dealing with so yep. often, whether it's Donald Trump's deportation or uh, the anchor babies thing or whatever it is, it just gets them back into it. And so it was fascinating to me to see the party take this little moment to kind of examine that issue in a, in a different way. But 2016 is a tough time, um, and they've got legislative races they need to defend. So a little bit of fighting here, there, everywhere this week. You know, it's good for the blood, right? A little little, little mixing it up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, sells papers, man. Sells papers. And with that, I'll, I'll, I'll depart. Anthony York uh, uh, from the Grizzly Bear Project, Marisa Lagos from KQED, and I'm John Myers from KQED. As always, thanks for listening to our California Politics Podcast.